Uh, a prophet's not without honor except in his own country or church, as the case may be. I, I hear it's supposed to get up to like 95 today or something. 96? Oh my gosh, 97? Do I hear 98? So I, I'm curious, who would rather have 98 degrees or 32 degrees? Okay, if, if you're for 98 degrees, raise your hand. If you're for 32 degrees, raise your hand. Yes, okay, thank you. I'm in that second crowd. It's too hot! Man, I'm a sweat hog. If it gets above 70, I sweat. And days like today, I'm out and two seconds later, drenched. I could not live in Texas where they have blue bonnet, blue bell. I will put Grand Creamy against blue whatever any day of the week. Grand, Grand, Grand Old Creamery, best ice cream on the planet. Just because I own stock in the company does not mean that I'm biased. No, I don't. Oh, they're, they're, sometime, if you want a foretaste of heaven, just get their Reese's uh, uh, peanut butter cup ice cream. Oh, it's only about 8,000 calories per bite. But Okay, so um, back in the early 90s, I was teaching full-time at Bethel. Well, it, it, this was before we started the church. Uh, it started in 92. But uh, I was speaking at a gathering, I forget what exactly it was about, but it was, there was a lot of muckety-mucks uh, at Bethel College who were there, uh, a lot of big donors and a lot of alumni and whatever. What I remember is that they said that I had to wear a tie because, and, and I had to be on my best behavior. <laughs> Greg, reel it in on this one because you know, these are dignified people. As though I have trouble being dignified. And uh, so I, I'm thinking about what I'm going to be talking about as I'm driving to Bethel, and I pull into the first parking space in the parking lot. And then I notice right next to me there's this fancy bright yellow car that's kind of low to the ground. And it looks like a Batmobile. A strange-looking car. And there's a guy inside. I would estimate he's uh, upper 50s, lower 60s, right around there, gray hair. But he was unusual in some ways. He had a, a sports cap on uh, that was plaid, kind of bright. And he um, uh, had these wire room glasses that were too big for his face. He was kind of a petite guy. Had big wire room gla glasses, round. And uh, he had a scarf. <laughs> and it wasn't even cold out. He had this kind of plaid scarf that matched his sporting cap. And um, driving this fancy Batmobile. And he was looking at me really intently, like, like angry. And I thought to myself, did I do something wrong? And I couldn't think of anything. So I just sort of waved to him and, hi. <laughs> uh, and then... I, I started to get out of the car, and then I noticed that I had parked my car, which was a junker, uh, too close to his Batmobile. Um, and that probably would explain why he's looking at me with this kind of intent look. So I get out very, very carefully, squish out, and make sure that my door does not touch his car. And it didn't. But then, as soon as I go to shut mine, this guy gets out of his car. But he didn't, like, have a door that opened this way like normal cars do. It went this way. I told you, it was a Batmobile. And, it gets a, and this guy gets out and he starts screaming at me. And it, it's kind of funny because he's a real smaller guy. And he's got a high voice. But he's like, I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. As soon as you pulled up that piece of crap next to my car, I thought to myself, he's, he's, he's going to nick it. He's going to nick it. He's going to nick it. And you did. You nicked my Lamborghini. And I said, what is a Lamborghini? <laughs> it sounded like a pasta dish or something. And I, I never, I, I don't know anything about cars. 
Uh, you can put me out on a highway for four days straight, and I wouldn't be able to name one car that came by. I can't tell the difference between a Toyota, Corona. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that a car? Is that a car? Well, there's a car that sounds like Corona. Corolla. Okay. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's right. Corona's the Mexican beer in it. Yeah, okay. That. I tell you, I don't know anything about cars. And I don't care about cars. So Lamborghini, I didn't know. But uh, I said, sir, I, was, I saw you were concerned. And so I was, I was very careful getting out to make sure my door did not touch your Lamborghini. And, and they, he, then he, he gets really mad because you did too. You, you, he called me an effing liar. And, and he, then he came around the, back, this, the, the back, back of his car over to me, pointed his finger at my nose, and he's only like, he must be 5'2". And he says, you're an effing liar. You nicked my car and you're going to pay. And I said, Sir, I, I, I didn't nick your car. There's, there's, there's nothing there. And, and then he says, and you did it on purpose. It, driving over that junk mobile next to my Lamborghini is too much for you. Out of spite, you nicked my car. And then I began to laugh with, because I can't even enter that world that like, oh, he's got a nice car. I got to nick it. I, I, if he knew how little I know and care about cars, it would be, he'd see it was funny. So I tried to explain to him. Oh, sir, he said, I don't care about cars. And, 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 but he wasn't listening to me because now he's down there with his big wire room glasses and his cap and his scarf inspecting his car. And he's just like, like two inches from it. And he's like looking over it. And then... To my surprise, after about 20 seconds or so, he goes, there it is. I knew it. You nicked my car. I was like, what? So I, I get down there and look, and I scan it. And you guys, there was nothing there. The, this guy, he was hearing nicks that didn't happen and seeing scratches that weren't there. I said, so I said, sir, there's nothing. I don't see anything there. Show me where that nick is. And then he like stands back, goes, it's not worth my time to deal with the likes of you. You couldn't pay for the damage anyways. And so he gets back, goes out huffy puffy and gets in his Lamborghini and closes the door. And then he turns on the engine and revs it up like really, you know, as hard as it could go. And then he backs out and it screeches as he leaves to go find a more respectable parking space, I suppose. <laughs> and it, then I really started to laugh because it occurred to me that he, he probably did that thinking that that would make me more envious or something. Oh, I wish I had a car that could rev up like that and screech, God, my, my life sucks. I don't have a car that can rev like that. Oh. <laughs> no, it, 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 was, it was just bizarre. Now, I thought about that guy once in a while since that time. And, and when I do, I'm kind of moved by pity towards him. That strikes me as a very, real sad person. How miserable it must be to be so attached to your car so really in bondage to your car that you live in this paranoia that someone might nick it. Uh, how sad to be li living, to have this kind of thing that, that causes him to look down at all people who have other kinds of cars, lesser cars. How sad that, in this, guy, this guy's perspective, like, it's like the greatest problem of, of evil in the world is that someone would nick his precious car. You know, it, it, the, for, forget the starving people and wars and sex trafficking or whatever. No, what matters is this guy's car. There's something so small about that. No, I, 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 I get that you don't want to have unnecessary nicks in your car. That's fine. But to live in that kind of paranoia and to even think that someone would intentionally do that because they're jealous, what does that say about his world? It, it's, the guy kind of reminded me of, of Gollum on, on uh, the Lord of the Rings. You know that, my precious, my precious. 
Is that a good imitation? My precious. Yeah, it's like he's cleaned this thing. And, and see, Gollum used to be a normal-looking hobbit, <laughs> whatever that looks like. But he got reduced to this. That, clinging to that precious just turned him, like, you, 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 you can fall in like a black hole on yourself and become self-absorbed and petty and, 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 and spiteful. And, and that's what that clinging does. So we're going to vet a verb this morning, golemize. Precious can golemize us. It turns us into golem. It reduces us. I think that's what happened to this guy. And, and you know, I'm told, I looked up later on, I found out that Lamborghinis are like really, really expensive sports cars, uh, like $200,000 or so. Um, and they can't get up to a half million. Who spends a half a million dollars on a car? I, that just blows my mind. Not that I'm judging you if you do. I'm, if you <laughs> <laughs> are there any Lamborghinis out there? <laughs> like, no, they're just a lot of Corollas or Coronas, whatever. So, so uh, yeah, it, it's, uh, he pays, pays $200,000 for this. But the real cost, I think, of having that precious is what it sucks out of his life. The quality of life that he loses, that's the real price he's paying for this. It, re it reduces him. Now, that's an extreme example, probably the most extreme example I've ever seen. But the question I want to ask this morning is, is it possible that we have a little gullum in us? Uh, do we have a precious uh, that is maybe harming us in ways that we're not even aware of? Uh, do we have something? You can always tell a precious because it's what you think about a lot. Maybe you obsess over it. Uh, you worry over it a lot. Uh, you, you, you get angry if you feel like it's ever being damaged or lessened or, or anything. It's, it causes you to rage. It's, 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 uh, it's, it's something that's so valuable in your life that to lose it would be devastating. Uh, th that would be a precious. Now, G Jesus talked to us about this in, in Matthew chapter 6. And I'm going to read a couple sections of this uh, passage. He's talking about treasures. He says this, Don't store up treasures for yourself in heaven, on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. Earthly treasures are always vulnerable. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves cannot break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your treasure is where your heart is. What, what, what's your primary affection? It's, it's what's most important to you. It's what you pursue. It's what your mind is set on. It's what you want to protect and what you worry about. That's, that, that's your treasure. And Jesus is saying here that if your treasure is Anything that has to do with this world, if it's on anything that the thieves can, thieves can steal and the moth can devour and it can get corrupted, well then, you'll be filled with anxiety. You'll be worrying about that. Uh, it will diminish you. And the, the last part of Matthew 6, which we're not going to be able to get to today, but he just talks about, don't be like the pagans who chase after this stuff. Rather, trust God and don't worry. He says there should be a, a carefreeness that characterizes uh, his, his followers. And the carefreeness is there precisely because we're not to be putting up any kind of treasure in anything in this world. You know, I, I uh, lost, Shelly and I both lost a good portion of our retirement in 2008. I'm sure some of you did too. But I didn't know it until 2015. Because... <laughs> 
No, it, it, so it, back in, when I first started teaching at Bethel, they said to all the professors, uh, we recommend that you go to this firm that we have a relationship with, and they'll set you up with a kind of retirement account, and you decide how much you want to put in there every month. And so I did, and when I, I did that, uh, they said to me that they uh, recommend for a person my age, I was like 29, 30 years old, that, that I should put 50% uh, in high-risk stock and 50% in uh, more conservative stock, and that they would take care of all that. So I said, okay, fine, that's, you know, if that's what you recommend, good. Now, I didn't think about that for almost 30 years, uh, until like around 2015, uh, Shelly and I realized that we're getting a little older, and maybe we should think about <laughs> what do we have for retirement? Now, I, I don't even really believe in a retirement, but you never know, you might lose your ability to earn money and whatever, so, so what do we have out there? And so we want to take kind of decide, figure, figure that out. So we got this uh, financial, wizard guy uh, who came to give some advice and he did the background on all this and turns out I, I, I learned in 2015 that that um, that company had, had for some reason put 90% of my savings in a high risk and I'd lost about 90% of that in 2008 yeah isn't that terrible but it had bounced back fine by 2015 and so I'm so glad I didn't know about that in 2008 <laughs> It's, I've read and heard that people freaked out when that happened. Uh, I mean, some people, just, it, was, it was catastrophic, and, and, and people started having chronic insomnia and anxiety and psychological disorders of different sorts and depression and, and sexual dysfunction. I read that. And, and, and some couples split apart over this, and it was even responsible for, contributed to some suicides. It was just a, a massive loss. Same thing happened in the Great Depression. And, and I was spared all of that because I didn't know, and I didn't know it because I didn't care. You see, so I was as happy in 2008 as I was in 2007. <laughs> the world's going on as, as, as usual. But see, that insomnia and stress and freaking out and sexual dysfunction and all the rest, that's the price of a precious. And the more precious that retirement or anything else is to us, the higher the price we're going to pay. We pay it if we lose it, but we also pay if it's even threatened or even the possibility of, of being threatened because there's going to be anxiety around that. And everything has the possibility of being threatened. Everything that every earthly treasure has the possibility of being lost. To the degree that our heart is on any earthly treasure, we pay for it with a diminished quality of life. In fact, I, I really think that the primary thing that diminishes the quality of life for people in the Western Hemisphere, is that um, is this? They're clinging to stuff, and they have all this worry, all the stress, all the striving, all this fear, all this conflict. It's because of clinging to precious, my precious, my precious. So Jesus says, "Don't put your heart on earthly treasures. Don't chase after it. Don't 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 covet it." That's why this message applies as much if whether you're poor or rich. It applies because. Whether you have it or not, you could be chasing it. Jesus says, don't go after that. That's what pagans do. And it fills their life with all sorts of messiness. Rather, just put all of your treasure in heaven. Make God's will and God's love for you and your eternal inheritance your precious. Make that the thing that you think about, that, that, that's on your mind, that motivates you, that you most desire, that's most important to you. Because that treasure, unlike every treasure on earth, that treasure can't ever be threatened, praise God. It can't ever be lost. Uh, that, that, that treasure, um, it's solid. It's, the robbers can't steal it, and uh, the stock markets can't crash it. 
and the reckless drivers can't scratch it, and the time won't erode it, and the weather can't damage it, and even death itself can't affect this. The only thing that can happen to that treasure is you die, and then you inherit it. Hallelujah. It's the one solid thing. Everything you see and everything you can touch and everything you can purchase, everything you can set your heart on in this physical world, it's always changing. Nothing is the same. It's always in flux. And it comes and it goes and it rises and it falls and you have it and you don't. It, it, it's all, so if your heart is on that, you're going to be blown with the, the wind and, and there's going to be all this strife and stuff in your life. But lock in this heavenly treasure. Make that your precious. Make that your motivation for living. And now you can have a peace that passes understanding. It's, it's a peace that's there regardless of the circumstances. Whether your stock is going high or whether it's falling apart, you, you, you can have that. Uh, because it's based on something that's completely and utterly unchanging. Amen? So uh, this relates to something we talked about last week. And if you weren't here last week, I encourage you to get that message. But here's a part of what we talked about. First Timothy 6, Paul says this. Command those who are rich to do good and to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. Now, as I shared last week, the majority of Americans are by historical and global standards very rich. Uh, even if you're relatively poor in America, your, your standard of living, your comfort is, 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 exceeds that of kings in Jesus' day. And so this is a passage that applies to most of us. And so Paul says that it, to say to the rich that give thanks to God for everything who gives us these things for our enjoyment. So don't feel guilty of the fact that you have advantages here. I used to do that game. I'm done with it now. Um, but you, you, if, if God lets you enjoy it, enjoy it. And don't feel guilty about that. That's just the way it is. But if you're rich, if you have more than your basic needs, a good, a, a good bit more than your basic minimum shelter, clothing, and food, that's your basic needs. If you've got a good bit more than that, well, then, then, then you're rich. So he says, make sure that you're rich in good deeds. Make sure that you're rich in generosity. Make sure that you're rich in caring about others and, and looking at the needs of others. Make sure that you're rich in how you share your wealth and share your time and invest in the lives of others. Because in doing that, now, you, you don't take any, you came into this world with nothing and you're going to leave with nothing. And so you don't take anything with you. But if you are giving it away, it takes on an eternal, eternal value. You're, you're storing up treasures in heaven. The only dollar you get to take with you is the dollar you gave away. Think about that. And so while we need to be thinking about our earthly retirements, that's fine. Should be doing that. Um, the, the retirement we ought to be most concerned with, the, the, the retirement that we should have on our minds, should make our precious, is the retirement that will begin the moment we die. And are we investing in that? Which is to say, are we being generous? Whether you have a lot or whether you have a little, are you sharing it? Are you, are, are you putting it to use to the benefit of others? That's the question here. And uh, uh, in, in, in doing that, we're storing up for our eternal retirement. And then Jesus says this. Look at this. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If the eyes are healthy, uh, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Why would Jesus, in the middle of a discourse on storing up treasures in heaven and not on earth, all of a sudden be talking about our eye health? Isn't that a little strange? Um, yeah, he almost needs, like, almost reads like an advertisement. 
By the way, do you have healthy eyes or bad eyes? What's it got to do with anything? Well, here's the thing. I, you got to dig into it a little bit to find out what, what it's about. In Jesus' culture, um, first century uh, Palestinian Judaism, good eyes was a symbol, sometimes used as a symbol for being generous. And the idea was that if you're being generous, you're seeing things straight. You're seeing things right. Because you're doing what you're supposed to do. You're, you're conforming to God's will. So you've got good, good, good eyesight. It strikes us as strange, but a lot of times when you deal with different cultures, you know, the way they use symbols seems strange to you. That was the, that, that was the symbolism there. And so Jesus is using that. And in fact, the word hapless that he uses uh, uh, for, for eyesight uh, has a connotation of being generous. Um, but Jesus adds to it in, some, in, in an interesting way. And I don't think there's any parallel to this in the first century. He says that he's drawing an analogy between our physical eyesight and spiritual eyesight. And he's saying that the only way that light gets into our body is through our eyes. So if your eyes are good, you're going to be filled with light. But if your eyes are bad, well, then you're going to have darkness. And now he's applying that spiritually. If you've got good eyesight and light's getting in there, uh, in other words, if you're being generous, well, then you're going to be filled with God's light, with God's truth, with God's love. Something about the very act of being gener generous opens you up. As you open up your finances, you're opening up your heart. And so now the light of God's love and truth and will gets into your life. And so you're going to have a life that's going to reflect that light and, and, and truth. You're going to have a, a life that reflects God's priorities. And it reflects God's ordering of things. So you're going to have congruity in your heart and you're going to have peace. The act of generosity increases our capacity to receive truth from God. But if you have got bad eyes, you're not being generous, you're hoarding your stuff, you're clinging to your precious, well, then that closes you off to the light of God and, and, the, and the light of, of God's love and his, his will. And, and so your life's not going to reflect his priorities, not going to reflect his ordering. And, and as a result, you're going to be experiencing a lot of things that God never wants human beings to experience, which is anxiety and striving and all the other things that go with hanging on to preciousness. And in some ways, what Jesus is saying here is, it's kind of like his teaching when he says that to those who have, to them shall be given more, and to those who have not shall be taken. Because he's saying that if you, if you start stepping in generosity, well, that opens you up to receiving more of God's light, which is going to be making you more generous, which opens you up to more of God's light. You're going down that path. But if you don't take those first steps on being generous, if you're stingy and hoarding, well, then you're closing yourself off. And the darkness is getting in there. And, and, and uh, uh, yeah, you're, 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 your life's going to reflect that. You'll be full of strife, full of striving, and all of the rest. What Jesus is saying is that chasing and clinging to precious stuff, it damages us. It harms us. It blinds us to truth. It distorts our perception of reality. We don't see things right in, 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 as God sees them. It may even bring you to the point where in your little world, the greatest problem of evil is a nick on your car. It deceives us into how we can experience joy and contentment and fullness of life. It may cause you to think that you'll find contentment and fullness of life if you just get the fancy car, when actually clinging to that fancy car is the thing that's going to suck joy and contentment and fullness of life out of you. It actually harms you. There's a deceptive quality to riches. <clears throat> Anything of this earth that we call our precious and cling to it like that damages our humanity, and it lowers our capacity to share, to love, to give, and therefore it lowers our capacity to experience true joy and true contentment because only when you're giving, only when you're pouring out to others, 
Are you really doing what God created you to do and are going to be experiencing true joy and true contentment? Jesus talks about this in in, in, uh, uh, Mark 4 with his parable of the seeds that were sown and some fell on hard ground and some fell on fertile ground and whatnot. But he says that even some of the seed that fell on the fertile ground, it started to take root, but then it was, and here's his word, it was choked by the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. Deceitfulness of, there's, there, there's something deceptive about money, about possessions. It deceives us. It tricks us. We could fall under its bondage. Paul, again, talks about this in 1 Timothy 6. Listen to this. He says, those who want to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Now look, those who want to be rich, so it doesn't matter if you have a lot or if you're you're dirt poor. Uh, You can be dirt poor and you're still in bondage to money because you're always lusting after it. You always are wishing for it. You're always, like, that's the dream you want to be chasing. And so this applies to all of us. And he's saying that if, if you fall into that, well, then, then you're trapped. You're ensnared. It's got you. It's got you. And that's going to create all sorts of senseless desires. You know, generally speaking, the more people have, the more they think they need. Yeah, it, it, it's, you're on the, this, this treadmill. Money's got you on this treadmill. You're, you're always going to be chasing after the senseless desires, and that plunges you into ruin and destruction. Why? Among other things, it destroys our humanity. It, it's golemizing us. Reducing us into golem, making us more petty, more self-absorbed. And this is why, folks, the New Testament has a number of warnings about, about riches. The problem's not wealth itself. It's the love of money. It's not the, the, the money. That's just paper. But it's the love of money. It's the root of all kinds of evil, he says. When, when your heart gets set on that, and getting more of it, inquiring it, and if that's what you think about, if that's what you're pursuing, if that's what's important, you're opening yourself up to all kinds of evil. Why? Because your eyesight's now bad, light's not going to get in, your heart can't receive the truth of God, and you're not going to discover the joy of living out of a, with a sharing heart, sharing mind. It, it's, it, it, it's deceptive. It, the thing it promises will give you life is this thing that will suck life out of you. The very second, you think that car is going to do it for you, but in fact, it's going to be diminishing the quality of your life. Now, so there's an inherent kind of danger in, in wealth. Now, s- some folks can handle that. There are some very wealthy Christian folks that, that, uh, that are not entrapped to that. Uh, they have a lot of stuff, a lot of money, uh, but it's not their heart. It's, it's not where their heart is. It's not their treasure. It's not their precious. It's not what they think about all the time. It's not that important to them. And so they can live with outrageous generosity. I remember reading about a guy a number of years ago who was um, living a modest life, uh, had a modest house, modest car, just, you know, that. But then he had an idea for something, I forget what it was, but he started a company and became a multi-multi-millionaire. But he still lived in that little modest house and drove that modest car. All the extra he donated, he gave away to kingdom causes and to feeding the poor and to all sorts of things. So it's possible to do that, but it's hard. Because there's an inherent pull. It's like wealth and possessions has got its own kind of gravitational weight, and it's trying to suck you in. And so we're to see it as something that is dangerous. Handle with care, and make sure that you're submitting this all to God. Um, and and because uh, uh, you don't take any of it with you, except that which you give away. Most folks can't handle that. 
And there's all sorts of studies that have been done to show this. Do you know that? A number of studies show that, generally speaking, thank God for the exceptions, but generally speaking, the more a person has, the less percentage they give away. The more they have, the more they keep for themselves. And a number of studies have shown that the, the, the wealthier a person is, when you're in the upper echelons of wealth, it tends to make you less compassionate uh, towards the poor, uh, to those who are disadvantaged. It's that golemizing effect. You become more self-absorbed. It just does that to you. And if you're ever wondering why it's hard for poor folks to get a fair shake in this country, well, consider the salaries of most of our decision makers. Uh, it, it, poor folks are just not on their radar screen unless it's to their political advantage, and then they'll get some crumbs that fall from the master's table. But generally speaking, it's, they're in their own club. Their world is this world of wealth, and it's consuming them. They've turned it into, well, I don't want to go on. You get the point. Yeah. So then Jesus says this, Matthew 6, uh, 24. He says, no one can serve two masters. And here's where the rubber's really going to hit the road. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And the word he uses there is mammon. I'll come back to it in a second. But seek first his kingdom, the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek God in his righteousness. Now, the righteousness, the, 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 the conception is of right relatedness. Uh, how things are ordered. Are, are you rightly related to God and to wealth and to everything else? Seek that first. And then trust that God will take care of your basic needs. And maybe even a little on top of that. And now you can live carefree. Um, Jesus uses this word mammon. Now, mammon was the name of the Babylonian god of money, god of wealth. Some scholars argue that Jesus was just here personifying money, uh, speaking, of, speaking of it as though it was this deity, because he wants to draw attention to the, the, the lure, the temptation to be sucked into it. Others think that Jesus was actually here saying that there is a spiritual agent that is behind the pull of money. Now, I tend to think the second one is the correct one, but... It doesn't really matter because we know from the New Testament that there are principalities and powers that are behind all structural aspects of society. And they, seek, they seek to kill, steal, and destroy. They're always trying to use things uh, to, to, to harm us, to diminish us, to get us astray. So, of course, there's a demonic power that is behind the power of money. And, and he, Jesus calls that mammon. It's the deceptive power, the power of money to deceive us. And Jesus says you can't serve bo both God and mammon. You can't. It's impossible. To serve God means your treasure is in heaven, which means that's what your, where your heart is, that's what you're pursuing, that's what's on your mind, that's, what, you know, that's the all-important thing to you. To serve mammon means that some treasure on earth is, is what you're after, that's where your heart is, that's what you're pursuing, that's what's on your mind. And you can't do both at the same time. You got to choose one or the other. But see, the thing is, is mammon is a very crafty beast. It's, it, it's a crafty beast. So it can get you to think you can do both or not notice that you're not doing the one that you think that you're doing. Uh, it's very deceptive. Most who serve mammon, I don't think, know that they're serving mammon. If you go to the wealthiest person on the planet and say, hey, are you uh, uh, serving money? Is money your God? They would say, no, doesn't mean a thing to me. Give me more. Uh, and most folks who, who are rich don't identify themselves as rich. Rich is always what's just one notch above me. 
You can be in the top 5% of people on the planet, maybe the top 5% in America, which would make you top 3% on the planet. But it's still that, that 1%, they're, they're the rich. We're just middle class. Uh, Americans, we, we, we tend to live two, three, actually I've heard, read up three to four times. Uh, we have a standard of living that's three to four times that of the global average. Uh, so we're wealthy by global standards and certainly by historical standards. But most of us don't feel wealthy. Uh, we feel middle class. We, we compare ourselves to what's around us. And we, we, we don't realize all that we have. And we're in a world where there's about a billion people who have less than they need. Their, their fundamental need for food, shelter, and clothing is not being met. And there's multitudes living on the verge of starvation if they're not actually in starvation. And yet the average American, though our standard of living is, uh, is three to four times that of the global average, the average American uh, spends 97 to 98% of all that we earn on ourselves. We give 2 to 3% away. But we feel very generous for giving that 2 to 3% away. Uh, mammon is a crafty, crafty beast. You can take a person who is pure worldling, uh, just pure pagan. They, th their whole heart is on a treasure on earth. <clears throat> And they pursue it, and they think about it all the time. They obsess with it, and they get paranoid that someone might scratch it. And, and you know, it's just, it, it is everything to them. But they can be convinced that they're actually serving God uh, because they go to church on occasion and, and maybe even talk to God when they get in trouble and maybe give 1% or 2% uh, contribute that to the church. So they're serving God. But, but their, their life is saying that they're serving mammon. Mammon is a deceptive, crafty beast. You can, be, you can be, have an unhealthy high, uh, eye and, and, and have a distorted view of reality and have darkness on the inside, but you think it's light. In fact, that's why Jesus says, if the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Uh, you're dark, but you think that that is light. And if you can't tell the difference between light and darkness, you are really in darkness. How great is that darkness? Mammon is a crafty, deceptive beast. It can diminish our capacity to love, to empathize, to share with others. It diminishes our capacity to receive truth and light from God. But all the while, the person can think, I'm doing just fine. I'm doing, everything's just hunky-dory. All the while, they're turning into Gollum. But it's, I mean, it's like the toad or the frog in the boiling water. If you do it slow enough, they don't notice. The question we have got to ask is, have we to any degree been golemized? Is there anything that we hang on to which, if it gets threatened, we turn into golem? Uh, it, it makes us ugly. Uh, that, is a, that, that is a precious. That it means mammon, you think you have it, but it has you. Mammon's got its tentacles in you. Um, you know, we who are, by historic and global standards, rich, we've got to ask this question. And we have to ask it seriously, are, are, have we been deceived by this crafty beast, mammon? Um, another way of asking that is, is uh, how can we be sure that we're serving God and not mammon? And this is, this is the, a, a very important question for us. Now, Jesus, all of Matthew 6 is really addressing this, this whole issue, but he sums it up at the end when he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and, and trust that God will add everything else unto you. This is his prescription for staying free of the tentacles of mammon, not being caught in its deceptive trap. A kingdom is any dome over which someone is king. So the kingdom of God is the domain over which God is king. And to seek first the kingdom of God means we make it our number one priority to make sure that every aspect of our life is in, under that dome, is in line with his will. 
That's got a highest priority. To, 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 to seek first the kingdom of God means you make it your highest priority to make sure that your earning and your spending and your giving and your keeping is all in compliance with, with, with God's will. In fact, in fact, to seek first the kingdom of God means that when you come under his domain, you, you surrender it all to him like we just sang about. You, you say it all is yours. You direct me as to how I should use it. What should I keep and enjoy? And what should I give away? In fact, to come into the kingdom means that, that you're saying he owns it all. If Jesus is Lord of my life, then he's Lord of over every aspect of my life. And so he is the Lord and owner of my house. He lets me live there. I'm, I appreciate that, but, but it's his house. And, and, and he's, he, he's Lord and owner of, of uh, my clothes and of my car and of whatever land I have. And you name it, he, he's the owner of it. In fact, he's the owner of my life. It's not even my life anymore. To follow Jesus, to surrender to Jesus means I give my life to you. And uh, that's why I don't believe I'm allowed to, to protect this life by killing somebody because it's not my life to protect. It's God's, and he told me to love my enemies and to turn the other cheek and never retaliate. And so why I would like to protect myself, I can't because it's not mine. It all belongs to him. And since it's his house... Right? Not mine. I, I have to be a good steward. I don't want to trash his house, so I'll take care of that. I have a responsibility for that. But if ever he says, time to lose the house, i got to lose it. And I hope he doesn't. Honey, I hope he never tells us this, but he might. If he ever says, give that house away, i got to give it. That's what it is to seek first the kingdom of God. The highest priority is to make sure that every aspect of our life, which means we don't own anything. To, be a, to seek first the kingdom means you don't own anything. Your highest priority is to keep things that way. Jesus says this explicitly in, in Luke 14. Listen to this. He says, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Woo! Those of you who do not give up everything. Everyone say everything. everything. You have, you cannot be my disciples. You got to lose the precious. Now, look at Jesus' disciples, they still had houses they lived in, and they still wore clothes, and they had fishing boats and fishing nets, right? So to give up everything, Jesus isn't saying you have to be homeless, unemployed, and naked. We can thank God for that, okay? <laughs> but he is saying you can't own it. You can use it if God lets you use it, but, but, but it's not yours. Uh, you have to have open palms to it. And see, the reason this is so important is because this is the only way to stay free of the deceptive lure of mammon. Uh, wealth and possessions, uh, they, they, they can't get their tentacles in you and can't begin to minimize you if you don't have any wealth or possessions. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you don't. You, 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 legally, you may have it, yeah. On paper, you may have it. But you know, and God knows that you don't. It's his, and you just steward that. And see, if, if, if you don't own anything, you can't lose anything. You have nothing to lose. And if you've got nothing to lose, folks, another word for that, is freedom, absolute freedom. This, this is freedom, to, stay, to, be, to be able to not be under the deceptive lure of mammon, to not have its tentacles on you. See, when you own something, it begins owning you, unless you're very, very careful about it. But you don't need to be careful about it because you, you know you don't own it. Don't own it, and it can't own you. If you've got nothing, to, no possessions, and the, the, that lure of possessions just can't grab you. It's, it all belongs to him. It all belongs to him. Watchman Nee said this. Uh, I, I love this quote. Um, and he's talking about the world here in John's sense of the world as the, 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 the world system 
in bondage to Satan that is antagonistic to, to God. Don't love the world, okay? That, the world is that, that system that's antagonistic to God. So he says the essence of the world is money. And he's, that's absolutely right. Money makes the world go round. Mammon, the God mammon drives this thing. Whenever you touch money, you are touching the world. So the question arises, and that's true. You don't have a pure dollar bill. Every bill in your wallet, if you have any bills in your wallet, it's tainted somehow. But the question arises, how can you take a thing we know assuredly is of the world and yet not become involved in the world system? How do we keep from getting sucked in? How do we keep from being galvanized? The New Testament key to all finances is that we hold nothing to ourselves. That's the ticket. And then he says, give and it shall be given to you. These were the, Lord, the Lord's words, and not save and you shall grow rich. That is to say, the principle of divine increase is giving, not storage. Hallelujah. This is God's economy. And so seek, seek first the kingdom of God and, and, and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Uh, the promise of God is that he'll take care of us if we're living in obedience and sharing uh, this, this generosity. But more than that, you find this biblical principle both in the Old and the New Testament that, that whatever you pour out comes back to you. Maybe not financially, but it could come financially, but it can come back in terms of the, your enhanced quality of life, your increased capacity to experience joy in giving. Uh, and so you give and, and, and it shall come back on you. Uh, full measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. And so the more you give, the more that comes back on you. But it doesn't come back on you so that you can get rich and now turn into gollum. It comes back on you so that you can now give more. And so you're in this flow. The more you give, the more you get. In order to give more, the more you get, you give more, and you're in this kind of momentum. That's God's economy. And, and there's other variables that, that factor into this, but, but that's the way we're supposed to live, and that's the thing we're supposed to trust. And not only does it come back on us here, but every time we're pouring out towards others and investing in the kingdom, we're storing up treasures in heaven. Yes. Amen? And now we're laying hold of life that is truly life. The one treasure that cannot be taken from us cannot be threatened. It's incorruptible, indestructible, uncorrodable, uh, uncorrodable. What are some other words? Undefeatable. It's unthreatenable. It's unlosable. <laughs> How's that for English? So, folks, th this is the, 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 the dynamic we're supposed to be living in. Stay free from the God man. He's a deceptive beast. And so we have to always treat possessions and money, all that, with care. Never grabbing hold of it. The minute we grab it, it's grabbing us and sucking life out of us. I want to end with a prayer, a corporate prayer. Uh, and it's just about surrendering everything. Um, if you're not there yet, where you're, you're able to do that, that's just where you are, fine. And so you don't have to pray this prayer. But I want to invite all who are ready to, to pray this prayer together. Uh, would you stand? And... and I'll read the first stanza, and then you guys read uh, the, the, you guys pray all the italicized uh, uh, passages. And you don't have to do this, but it helps me. Uh, I like, whenever I get my body to express what's in my heart, it enhances what's in my heart. Um, and so I, I like to pray this prayer with open palms, because I'm saying, God, I'm taking my hands off of everything. Take my hands off of everything. So I'll pray, and then you read the bottom line. Heavenly Father. We set our hearts on our treasure in heaven, not on any treasure on earth, and we aspire to bring every aspect of our life under your loving reign. Protect us. We thank you for every blessing that you allow us to enjoy, and we seek your will about all that you would have us invest into the kingdom and share with others. 
and ever shall have belongs to you. We relinquish ownership of our dwelling places. We relinquish ownership of all of our possessions. We relinquish ownership of all of our finances. We relinquish ownership of all of our time. We relinquish ownership of all our hopes and dreams. We relinquish ownership of all of our talents. We relinquish ownership of our entire lives. We live in the blessed freedom of knowing that all things are from God, all things exist for God, and all things belong to God. And in that blessed freedom, we will stand now and forever. Amen. 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 Let it go. Freedom. Freedom. That is freedom. Whom the sense is free is free indeed. Keep your hands off of everything else. All right, I'd like to ask the prayer teams to come up here. And if you're here this morning and have any need that could use prayer, please come up here and pray with these folks. They'd love to minister to you. And if you're here this morning and you're not a surrendered follower of Jesus, I encourage you to consider that. And if you want to find out what that's about, come up here and talk to these folks, and they would love to share with you. As we leave here, people of God, can we do it as a people who are committed to staying free of the deceptive lure of mammon? Can we do it as a people who are committed to owning nothing? And can we do it as a people who are committed to living in outrageous generosity, reflecting the generosity of God towards us by how we love others? If that's in your heart, if you agree with that, say amen and go out and love your neighbors. God bless you guys. See you next week.